Today's daf is Ein Chet in Yoma. We are on Ein Zayin, rather, Amud Bet. We are four lines from the bottom. We're still talking a little bit about this. Uh, we got into the topic of some Agadot here regarding uh, uh, regarding So it started speaking about the... Um, and about passing water, about crossing water on Yom Kippur. So it sidetracked into uh, the discussion of the of the water that's going to trickle out of the Kodesh Kodeshim and then become a big river, which we've seen before, we've discussed before. It's a it's one of the Nivot of Yechizkel, but it's, you know, elaborated upon in the Gemara here. Amar Rabbi Pinchas, Mishum Ravona. So, Ravona Tzipora'ah. So, Rabbi Pinchas and the name of Ravona Tzipora'ah, so this spring that's going to come from the Kodesh Kodeshim, in the beginning, so then it's going to be small, like the horns of Chagavim, of grasshoppers, which obviously is very, very fine, very thin. Once it gets to the door of the Echal, it's like a Chutz Sheti. It's going to become like the, the Sheti is the uh, vertical strings that are on the loom that stay uh, in place. So they are also thinner. What? What you sew on. You know, we don't know about that because we're not seamstresses and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Fruit of the loom, even though it's, you know, it's a, it's a mashal. Not really fruit. But yeah, it's a, uh, but shet, the, the, when it talks sheti and erev, it always talks about in the talk sheti the erev. Sheti is the, is the, when you look at a loom that they're weaving on, so there are the vertical strings that they stay stationary, essentially. Right, that's what it's called in English, yeah. And that when you, when you go this um, and, yeah, and so so when when you go back and forth now the you know the in the invention of the uh, you know the chidush of the sewing machine was that you could pull up all of the odd numbered uh, strings at the same time and then switch and pull up the even number one that way you don't have to go up and down over each each one um, and then of course they figured out elect- electrically had to do that but the uh, anyway so then it would, so the point is that it become a little bit thicker and then when it comes to the ulam then it becomes like the uh, the horizontal thread which is thicker than that the one that passes back and forth um, when they make the garment and then when it comes to the uh, door of the courtyard so it becomes like the uh, like a small jug like the mouth of a small jug but not like like we learned in the Mishnah so like he said, it's going to be like a, uh, the water uh, pouring out of a jug is going to be at the uh, threshold of the Beit HaMikdash. So we talked about it before, you know, when we read about it before. And I think, you know, whether it's... Li- so some of the Mepharshim take the whole thing as just a metaphor. And the idea is Mayim is, is similar to Torah. It's always a metaphor of Torah. And what it means is that, the, like we always say, that the, the knowledge of Hashem is going to be like, it's gonna, and it's going to come from the Kodesh HaKodeshim, meaning that the people are going to learn about Hashem come from the Beit HaMikdash. That's the metaphoric reading. And if I were reading it, that's how I would understand it as a metaphor. Some of the Mepharshim like to straddle both sides. You know, they like to say, well, it could have a, a real literal meaning and also a meaning that is metaphoric. But when you read it, it sounds so exaggerated that, you know, from this tiny drop of water that's going to come from the, you know, there's going to be fruit trees sprouting and all that and a, a river coming. It sounds like a, uh, a type of a mar- that's metaphoric, but I guess 
only time will tell. When we get to witness it, we'll know. Anyway, by the time it got to the house of Bet David, in other words, to the palace of David, so then already it's a flowing stream. In other words, a river already. And in that, the, the people who are Zavim or the Zavot or the, the women who are Nidot and Yoldot, they can all immerse in it. It's going to be high enough that they can enter it and they can, uh, and they can use it as a mikveh, basically, uh, at that point. <clears throat> and that's why it says in the Pasuk, it says there's going to be a source, meaning a source of water open for the house of David. It says for chatat and nida. Here chatat would seemingly mean for purification, which is one of the terms of chatat. A lot of times the mefarshim try to explain why it says that why a person brings a chatat for, for purification process. Because chatat doesn't always mean a sin offering. So they try to sometimes make it seem like, oh, well, there must be a sin involved. Like a yoledet brings a chatat and they say, oh, she must have done a sin because she cursed her husband or something like but the pshat is that chatat actually means It means purification. It doesn't necessarily mean a sin. So so the chatat could just mean for purification. Right. Sometimes it says It doesn't mean he made a sin on the mizbeach. It means that he purifies it. Right. There could be purific, you know, purity, impurity. There could be, could be. But I'm saying that the pshat is mikra. I think the Ramban actually says. I remember the Ramban says somewhere that the chatat, the real pshat of the chatat in a lot of those cases is that it just means uh, purification. Anyway, the idea is that it's for chatat nida. That according to this, you see that a, that a nida has to be able to sit up to her neck in the water. Now, the way that Rashi says, there's two things. Number one, that she should sit, and number two, that, she, that the water should be as high as her neck. Okay. Others take out the that uh, take out the word leshev, the sitting, and just say, oh, it just shows you that in order to be a mikveh that is kasher, it has to be up to her neck, up to the woman's neck. However, the halacha does not follow that. We don't say that the water has to be that high. Um, it doesn't have to be such deep water to qualify as a mikveh, even though that might seem to be indicated by the pasuk, because we had said before that this water is so high that it goes up to the shoulders, and that was why we were talking about before the danger of crossing such high water. Right, especially in Nachal Shotev, especially if it is a flowing river, as opposed to high water that is still water where the person was allowed to cross over. Um, that's that's the quantity of water. The question is how high should it be? You can have a tiny one and you roll up as a bowl and get under it. So the, usually they say it has to be that. Like if a person would stand in it at least over their belly button, it has to be like it has to be high enough that they don't have to scrunch down too much because otherwise they won't really the water won't really uh, get into the get into all the places. But technically, yeah, mikveh could be smaller than that. Now Shabbatika. What about when you're wearing shoes? Can you cross water? Because up to that, we're talking about Yom Kippur. And the assumption was these people aren't wearing shoes. And we're going to see that that's one of the issues. That um, That's one of the discussions of the, among the Rishonim, whether you can wear other kinds of shoes. That's the discussion. Like I mentioned, I think yesterday or the day before, that that's a big machloket Rishonim. If it's only leather shoes or any kind of shoe that you're not allowed to wear on Yom Kippur, it's a machloket. Now, the thing is... That Shabbatika min al mai. What about when you're wearing shoes? Can you cross water? Because ironically, it seems more lenient on Yom Kippur, even though there's a washing issue of wa- walking through the water. Um, the uh, the concern of uh, that concern was set aside because you're not really doing it for enjoyment. You're not really doing it for cleanliness. Just trying to get from place to place. If anything, you feel like you're getting dirty walking through that water. But Amar Nechemya Chatanei de Benesia. So Nechemya, the son-in-law of the. Um, of the Nasi said, uh, he said that Anachazite, I saw the Rabbi Ami Rabbi Asi, Dematu, Urkumad Demaya, they went through a puddle of water, 
and uh, and they just went. Basically, they they went derech uh, malbush. In other words, they went wearing their shoes. So, what's the concern on Shabbat? The concern on Shabbat is that a person will take off their shoes and carry them, and you're not allowed to carry the shoes. In other words, on Yom Kippur, it's not an issue because you're not going to be wearing shoes, as, as we'll see. But uh, on on Shabbat, where the person's walking in shoes, maybe they're going to take off their shoes so they don't get very wet, and they're going to carry the shoes in the shoes of So you see, they wore, they wore it. Why so, Meaning, because you're wearing it. You're wearing it. So why are you allowed to wear shoes on Shabbat? Because it's, uh, it's clothing, right? That's good for a minal, an actual shoe. But sandal, what about a sandal? A sandal is something which is, uh, you know, it can't be tied as tightly. So in other words, when you're wearing a shoe that's tightly on, maybe you'll say, okay, you'll walk through the water. You're not going to worry about losing your shoe. But a sandal, a sandal that's loosely fitting on your foot, it could get washed away in the water. So maybe you're going to want to carry that. You're not going to want to walk with that on. Rav Chumi said, So too, I saw Ravina walk, and he was wearing a sandal in the water, and there was no problem. Ravashi said, you know what, with a sandal, since you're getting yourself into a situation where you have the possibility that you're going to lose the shoe, and then you're going to go after, you know, so therefore you might take it off, or it might come off, and then you'll carry it, either way. So the point is that it, with a sandal, you shouldn't go through lechatchila, you should not cross the water if you're wearing sandals, because we have the concern that maybe you're going to uh, come to carry it one way or another. Now, Resh Galuta, one time the Resh Galuta, the Exilarch is called in fancy language, came to Hegronia, the Beit Rav Natan, to the Shiva Rav Natan, and uh, it says, Rafam and all the rabbis, they came to hear the Shi'ur, but Ravina Lota on Shabbat. In other words, he came to give it to Rashi. He was the scholar in residence, as they call it today, right? He came for Shabbat, comes to speak in the synagogue, and lo and behold, Ravina Lota, everyone came except for Ravina, he did not show up. And this could be construed as a, uh, uh, some disrespect. So, so in the morning, Rafram went to ask Ravina why he didn't come. In order that, in order basically that the Resh Galuta would hear the answer and not be insulted. He would realize that he, that he had a good excuse. That wasn't an, it meant as a disrespect. He said, why didn't you come to the Shi'ur? Um, we see many stories like this in the Gemara, by the way, where a, a, a certain rabbi didn't come to the Shi'ur and then they have to make it clear that he only didn't come because of a halachic reason. Oh, because I was sick, because of this. Oh, why didn't you pray at home and come? There's a discussion in the Sechab Rabbi. He had no good excuse and he comes over there. He's trying to give him He's a Milamid Zechut. He's assuming, he's assuming that he would have come out of respect. Right. Yeah, maybe. That's an excuse for today. Yeah. Now, so he says, Amar lei, ma'ita ma'lo'atam mo'l perka. Amar lei, hava kivli kar'ai. I had a problem with my feet. My feet were hurting or my foot was hurting. Right. Ibali lemesam misanei. So uh, why didn't you put on some shoes? So would, would, you know, then you'd be able to walk and you wouldn't have to worry. He said, no, it was the top of the foot. In other words, it was a part of the foot that it wouldn't, you know, it's not going to, it's not that I couldn't walk on the ground. It was the top of the foot and it was hurting. I, I couldn't walk. So so why didn't you wear a sandal? Apparently that would be something that since it doesn't close tightly on top of the foot, right? So it would be okay. Your top of your foot was hurting and it would protect the bottom of the foot. So no, there was a, there's a water, there's a, a stream or something or puddles or whatever water that I would have had to cross through and you're not allowed to go through that wearing sandals. So what? So why don't you just walk through it with your sandals on? What's the problem? In other words, if you have a pain in your foot that's on the top of the foot, wear sandals and walk through the water. He said, no, didn't you hear about 
Well, Rav Ashi said that ideally a person should not pass through water when they're wearing sandals. Why? Because they're going to end up taking them off they're gonna, or they're going to come off and they're going to carry them one way or another. So therefore, I wasn't able to come for halachic reason. I had a halachic excuse that since I couldn't walk without my, I couldn't walk with regular shoes, basically, he's saying, because my foot was hurting. So therefore, I, uh, I would have only been able to wear a sandal. And since I couldn't cross the water, I wasn't able to come. So, you know, please forgive me that I didn't come to the shore. Now, Tanei Rav Yehuda, I like this guy's, the, the, the name, Yehuda Bargrogrot. He was Yehuda, the son of, uh, of uh, figs. Very nice. Uh, Figson, he would be called in English. You know, if he made his, his name into American name. You can't sit on like clay or mud that is cold on Yom Kippur because actually what, like people would sit on it, I guess, to cool themselves off. Basically, they would sit on this kind of thing. But the thing is that since it's liquidy, um, it's sort of like washing. It's, it's going to feel the same feeling of washing. Amar um, Rabbi Yosho ben Levi of Tinam Tapacha. Meaning, it's, it's not going to clean you, but the feeling of the cool liquid, it's like wet. It's going to feel like the same kind of relief as having water put on you. He said that's only if it's wet. That's a rule that we always have. Means that something could be moist, but once you touch it, there's no real residue left on your hand. Uh, when it says, that means that it's wet enough that even after you touch it, there's enough that if you touch something else, you could transfer the moisture. So that means like there's actual some moisture there that you pick up. So uh, if it's that liquidy, so that it's like a, actually like water almost, so then you would be you would not be able to sit on it because it's almost like washing. The point, I guess, is that it's not just the feeling of um, of wa- of cleanliness that rechitza involves, but it's just the fact that liquid can have like a. Uh, cooling or relaxing effect when it's put on the body, even if it's not making you clean. As in this case, it's obviously not making you clean, but it's the opposite of being clean, having mud or clay on you. Right? Then it says, Amar of Yehuda, and what does it say on the side? The Rosh doesn't have Yehuda. It just says Amarav. Okay. A person can cool himself off with fruit. I, you know, meaning if you have some produce that stays colder than room temperature because it's, you know, it, it doesn't, it's, you know, apples, I don't know. You could sit on those to cool off. Didn't have air conditioning, keep in mind, you know? So you could sit on those. Rav Yudah, Mitztanin Bekara. Rav Yudah would, would use gourds or like pumpkins. He would, he would sit on those or rest on those to cool off, I guess, because they don't absorb the heat because it's a harder shell. Maybe it cools you off. I don't know. I never thought of using that as a means of getting colder. But um, in the pre. Uh, uh, Pre-air uh, conditioning days, I guess that's what they had to do. Now, according to... How did you make the decision that the closer... Why not? So, so it won't hurt. So if he does, it's okay. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Also, maybe because it's a large thing, it's going to retain the coolness. So it's yeah, I don't know, I don't know, maybe. I never thought of that idea before. But anyway, now this is... According to Yanuka. This, this guy could get in trouble today. You know, he would, he would, he would use a child. He would like bring a child who was cooler next to him and put his hands on the child and cool him off. Now, I don't know how that's going to work because the child's got to be at least body temperature unless the child is not uh, healthy. But aside from the fact that that would get you in other kinds of trouble nowadays. Right. Yeah. So according to that, and then it says, Rabbah mitzdanen bekasat kaspa. This one I could understand, a silver cup, because actually it will stay cool. So that even when it's hot, it will stay cool. Rabbah said that if it is a... Uh, uh, oh, actually, it should say Amarava, according to the side. Okay. If the cup is full of water, you can't use it because it might spill on you and then you'll end up washing with the water. But if it's, if it's not full, it's okay. 
But if you're using an earthenware cup to cool off, either way it's not good because it will seep out. The liquid that's inside, whether it's full or not, it's going to seep out onto your hands and it's going to wet them and you're not allowed to use water to cool off. So this is kind of saying that in addition to the cleanliness factor of washing, there is also the cooling off factor of washing that any kind of liquid could offer you that or any kind of substance could offer you that. If it's not a liquid, it's okay. The problem is having the liquid uh, serve that function is what comes under the heading of v'chitza. Now it says, Rav Ashi, I think it should actually say, no, according to the side of the Gemara. It's not a child, but rather it's a min blat. So Who says that? Down here it says, Meiri. Uh, uh, really? Okay. okay. Maybe, maybe he had a different girsa, maybe. It, it, look, it, then it would just be repetitive because of what the person said before, but I, I don't know. It, it's strange, anyway. Um, I'm not really sure. But anyway, according to this, it should say Rav Ashi, right? Rav Ashi, Amar Rav Ashi said, and according to this, it should say Afilo, okay? Okay, so it says, Afilo, Kasat Kasbah, Chaser Nam Yasur Mishum, the Mizderiv. That even if the, the silver cup is only partially full, you shouldn't uh, use it to cool off because you could always spill on yourself even if it's only partially full. So uh, using the cup itself is okay, but the water is what potentially poses a problem there. He was the landlord of everybody there. was the landlord of Rabbi Right, so he, uh, and all of the rabbis in Caesarea, basically he owned, I guess, like apartment buildings, something, he was the landlord, and he, and they all lived there, the little community. He would, he would say to him, you know, son of a lion, uh, he said to Rav Yosef, who was the son of Rav Yosef ben Levi, I want to tell you, I want to tell you about the great thing that your father would do. He had a wonderful minhag, that mitpachat hayalo, he had a certain cloth or a certain kerchief, an Arab. This is the landlord. He's telling you because know, he he knew the family probably from a long time. He knew so he's telling his he's telling the son. This is what, right. Erev Yom Kippurim. He would take a uh, this. He would take this rag on Erev Yom Kippur. He would he would soak it in water. Then he would let it dry out completely. But I guess it maintained some of the the, the coolness from that. And then the next day he would wipe his face, hands, and feet with it. Um, in order to uh, clean himself up on Yom Kippur, because the, by, at that point it was dried out. Okay, that's the that's the way that we have it in our Gemara. Rashi has a different interpreter. He has a different girsa that says no. What he would do was he would wash his hands, dry it on this rag on air of Yom Kippur, and then on Yom Kippur he would use that with uh, to wash his face in his hands because it was still somewhat damp from having uh, dried his hands on. It was like if you take a towel and you dry your hands on it, it's a little bit damp. By the next day, or but, but the way that we have it in front of us is that he would dry it out after soaking it and then use it the next day. And then, So there's two differences. First of all, in Erev Tisha B'Av, when he would do it and he would soak it, he didn't dry it out completely. He would let it be a little bit wet, but he didn't wash his face and his hands. He only would wipe it on his eyes, okay? So that means that there was a leniency and a stringency, according to him, on Tisha, on Tisha B'Av, as, uh, relative to Yom Kippur. The leniency was that he didn't have to dry it out completely. He let it stay as it was, but the stringency was that he didn't wash his whole face and hands. He only 
he only uh, would wipe it off his eyes with it so in the morning. Okay, now the word v'chein according to the grass should be taken out. He says, Roshom kav alav you should, you should put a line on it to erase it, meaning it definitely doesn't belong here because actually it's saying exactly, it's saying something totally different. It makes no sense that the word v'chein is in there. He's right about that. Ki bar mori, when Rabbi bar mori came, he said, Amar ba'er tshaba'av vin lo mitpachat, on er on er tishabeav they would bring him a cloth he would soak it in water he would leave it under his pillow basically on erev so this is agreeing that he would soak it and he would not dry it on 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 on, on tisha b'av but it's saying he would wash his full face hands and feet with it not just wipe it over his eyes. So just like we said before, when it came to Yom Kippur, he would have to dry it out completely. But he would only wipe his eyes with it. In other words, according to that, there's more stringent on both counts. Okay, on both counts. It's not a mixing and matching because according to the first version, there's a stringency on Yom Kippur, which is that it has to be totally dried out, but the leniency is he can wipe his hands and his face with it. Uh, There's a stringency on Tisha B'Av, which is that he can only wipe his eyes, but the leniency was that he kept the rag wet. According to the second version, it's more consistent. On Erev Tisha B'Av, he would leave it wet and he would be able to wipe his whole face and hands with it. And for Erev Yom Kippur, they would, he would have to be totally dry and he could only wipe his eyes with it. Amale Rabbi Yaakov, the Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Tachlifa, Rabbi Yaakov said to Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Tachlifa, um, he said, Ipcha Amratlan, you said to us the opposite. Meaning what? So Rashi explains, That when you told us about Erev Tisha B'Av, you told us that it had to be totally dry. And when it came to Erev Yom Kippur, you didn't say that it had to be totally dry. And our response to that was, what about squeezing out? Because there's a difference between, Erev, uh, between Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is not a Shabbat. It's not, it doesn't have the halachot of Shabbat, so you're allowed to squeeze things out. There's nothing, no problem with squeezing things out, but you can't do that on Yom Kippur. So it should be, it's more important to squeeze it out and dry out the, the rag before Yom Kippur. That would be the, that would make more logical sense. That's the first way Rashi has. Then Rashi has another way. He says, Lashon Shishamati, a different version, that they said, Ibcha Matlan, Zet Erv Tisha Be'av, Mekanech Bayadav, Ulemachar Poshta. That's going with his other interpretation. That what it means is that erev tisha b'av, the person would dry his hands on a rag and leave it like that. And erev yom kippur, he would soak it. He wouldn't just dry his hands on it. But the same point is that in both cases, we said to you, how can erev yom kippur? How can you use a totally damp rag since there's a concern of um, squeezing it out? And in fact, they bring as the minhag that that that's something that, uh, that nowadays we don't do this thing of wetting a rag and leaving it to dry and using it on yom kippur morning because we're worried that maybe it won't be totally totally dried out and you'll, you'll underestimate how dried out it is. They asked the following question uh, from Rabbi Elazar. A zakin, a person who is an elder, meaning he's a member of the Sanhedrin, which means he's already on a very high level of semicha, a very high level of rabbinic ordination. Okay, is that person, does he have to receive special permission to rule on Bechorot? Now we learn in Masechet Sanhedrin and in other places, well we know in general that there's a problem of Bechorot. The problem of Bechorot is, Lahatir Bechorot means to determine that a Bechor has a mum, has a defect, that means that it becomes 
chulin, basically, for the Kohen who receives it, he can now do whatever, he can now just treat it as regular, ordinary meat, and he doesn't have to bring it to the Beit HaMikdash, which, of course, a Kohen would have a vested interest in wanting that to happen, uh, because it, it takes a lot of uh, stress off of his head. He doesn't have to keep the Bukhor until he goes to the Beit HaMikdash. He could just have a barbecue and eat the Bukhor, no problem, if it has a moon. So we understand why maybe Kohanim would be a little bit suspect about that, which the Gemara is going to talk about in a second, but there was an idea of Heter Bukhor. So normally we have, we recognize today two types of smicha, which is Yore Yore is one, which means a person can rule on matters of Halakha. Usually that's referring to Isur Veheter. Yore Yore usually means that they know Halakhot of uh, Kashrut, Nida, Shabbat, the, the daily Halakhot and practical Halakhot of life. And then there's something called Yadin Yadin, a smicha, which means Yadin Yadin means to be a Dayan, means to be a judge in a court, maybe ruling on Gitin, maybe ruling on Ketubot, maybe ruling on Dinei Mamonot, monetary matters and so on. But they had another kind of a smicha in the times of the Chazal, which was called Yatir Bechorot. Right? So Yatir Bechorot is, they, they had Yatir Bechorot Yatir. Which means that they gave special permission to be the person so who would rule. It's it's an so that was an extra smicha you had to have. And in Masechet Sanhedrin, it talks about you know that uh, Rava went and I think it was Rava went and he lived with um, with uh, shepherds for a long time to learn the uh, right to learn eighteen months I think right to learn all the all all the mumin and and it talks there about the that type of that sometimes you would have a person who would have every type of smicha but not this one they wouldn't give him this it was a special license that you had to have to determine uh, mumin so they asked if a person's already on the sanhedrin does he need special permission presuming obviously that he already know, that he knows the halachot we're not if he's on the sanhedrin the rambam says right the rambam says if you're on sanhedrin you have to know everything you can't be a specialist you have to know all the, you have to know everything so he obviously would know. The question just is, does he need a special license for that? Okay, because knowing and having a license are two different things. So, what was the question? This is the question. Um, the, the question is as follows. That since they, they basically reserved this license for the house of the, uh, of the Exilarch, for the house of the Reshkaluta or the Benesia, that he would be able to issue this license. It gave him a certain like power, it was like an honor that they could determine who would get that permission. You know, it was a kavod thing, an authority thing. Fine, they gave him an authority probably to, because there were always back and forth, you know, political issues between the rabbis also in the house of the Nasi sometimes. So they wanted to give them something that was special for them. Okay, you have the kavod that only you can issue this kind of a license, okay? The, if, if that's the case, right, and, and of course that throws them a bone so then they won't get involved in other kinds of uh, issues maybe that they, they don't want them to, you know? But either way, so they get... No, 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 not necessarily. I mean, he could have been a Tamil Chacham. It's inherited position, a political position. Although he he wasn't, he could rule on this. This was a license, sure. Was a like it was a matter of license. So it's like it's like if I if you are uh, let's say you know you study in school to become a lawyer or you study in school in any profession and then you have to take some official test, the test like independent, they issue a license to practice law or a license to practice something. It's independent of the school sometimes that you study in, right? So they had these, these 
licenses were issued in the, they were like an authority issue. It's like being licensed, not just knowing. So like a person could be could know but not be licensed. So in so they gave this over to the house of the Nasi oh, right. as a type of an authority. So the question is if you're already on the Sanhedrin, do you still need that? It's already uh, uh, it's already silly to say that oh we're gonna say the, the, the right well, right you're already on that level of uh, of uh, you know of authority yourself being on the Sanhedrin. Now I have to go to the Reish Galuta and ask him if I'm allowed to or the house of the Nasi. What? Forget about Kohen first because it's going to get to that. Right now we're just talking about in general. We're just talking about in general. Because you had to have the special license no matter whether you're Kohen or not. You have to have a special license. So they gave this issuing of the license as a kavod to the house of the Nasi. So the question is, but what if I'm already on such a high level that I'm on the Sanhedrin? Do I really need to go ask the Nasi? Right? So it says, um, so Amar Rabbi Tzadok ben Chaluka, and what we have lots of, uh, it says, it should say, Rabbi Yitzchak ben Chakula. So it's like a totally different name. Fine. I saw Rabbi Yossi ben Zimra, who was an elder sitting in the Yeshiva, meaning he was sitting on the Sanhedrin. And he was at the same, it was the same generation as the grandfather of the current Nasi. He was at, with the grandfather of the current Nasi, and he still went and he got permission in order to be, uh, uh, to permit Bechorot, meaning that even though he was a great person uh, and from two generations ago, but it was a formality. He still did it. Rabbi Abba, Rabbi Abba said, You have your facts wrong. The problem was not an issue of being on the Sanhedrin. It was that he was a Kohen. And this was the question. The question was, could he rule on these issues since he was a Kohen? Because we have two, there's two positions. There's Rabbi Meir who says, if somebody is not Ne'eman, meaning if a Kohen comes and says, this uh, Bechorier, the moon was from before. I, I didn't do it. We don't believe him because he has best interest, right? One of the issues between Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua actually was about this issue. What if the person is an individual who is a tzaddik and a tamir chacham and we know that... Uh, that that he's going to be uh, uh, that he's going to be you know he's going to tell the truth and he's not he's not an average person can we trust him in that case and Rabban Gamliel was very you know into the the formality of things that no even, that we have to be consistent and it doesn't matter who it is and therefore even though it's a person who's a who's a uh, uh, who is a tzaddik we're not gonna we're not going to make an exception right but the thing so one position is Rabbi Meir Rabbi Meir says if a person is not believed about something for themselves meaning if the Kohen came and said this. Uh, uh, this Bukhor is that the moon was predated my possession of it. We don't believe him. So, so to load the Novelomeido. He also cannot r- rule on it for anyone else. Meaning a Kohen would be never allowed to rule on Bukhorot even for anybody else because he's just not believed in that area. But according to Rabban Shimon Ban Gamliel, no, that's on himself that he's not believed because he has a vested interest. But somebody else, if he's telling you that somebody else is Bukhor, that, that you could believe. What? Who? What? What do you mean? No, right. He doesn't direct. Right. We don't. I don't think it goes that far. It doesn't go that far. Yeah. Oh. You know. We, we just say the coin himself. He's not believed. And if somebody, but if he's talking about a third party, maybe he should be believed. That's the machlok that they were talking about, right? So the question was, could Rabbi Yosef ben Zimra be a person who is matir bechot since he's a kohen? Since he couldn't do it for himself, maybe he shouldn't be able to do it for other people. And that's why Rabbi Yosef ben Zimra was given the license because we decided that for a third party, you're allowed to rule on it. 
right? They had another question, and now this is why this is actually brought up here, because it had nothing to do with what we were talking about before, which was, What is the rule of going out with a sandal that is made of, like, reeds? In other words, it's like a makeshift type of a sandal. I saw the, uh, that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi went out with a reed shoe on Yom Kippur. And, and I said to him, What about on a communal fast? He said the same rule would apply. In other words, whether it is a communal fast or it is a Yom Kippur, when you're not allowed, both times you're not allowed to wear shoes, so you're allowed to wear reed um, sandals. So apparently he might have thought that maybe the Chachamim would be even more strict than the Torah because sometimes they are to show that they, you know, show how serious it is. But either way, I saw Rabbi Elazar from Ninveh. I wonder if he was from the same Ninveh. I guess from, from you know, the same Ninveh as, as, as Yonah, but not from that time period. He went out wearing uh, the reed shoe on, um, like this was their version of Crocs, you know, they had a reed shoe on the Tanit Zibur, and I said to him, what about Yom Kippur? I said, it's the same rule. Okay, Rabbi Yudah Nafik Bidehitni. Rabbi Yudah went out wearing uh, shoes made from kaput tmarim, Rashi says. It was made from, um, from, uh, uh, what do you call it? Palm, palm, uh, right? Abaye Nafik Bidehotse. That's, yeah, that's what he has. Oh, but the Hotse is that. Oh, so what's Hitni? Oh, Minsham. So the, oh, so that was reeds. Okay, Hitni is Minsham. I was reading the next one. Yeah. Right, so the Hitni, he said what? Kash was a straw. Yeah, okay. So yeah, he says Minsham. In other words, some kind of plant material. Okay, so right, so the, the Hotse is the... Um, is the Abaye Nafik b'dehotzi? That's the kapot uh, That's the palm. Okay, Rava Nafik b'divli. And what does it say on the side? Divli. It says Aleph. It says b'dikuli. But it's asavim. In other words, it's made out of grass. Okay, very creative. Now, the point of all of these things is that all of these types of shoes, and and this is where the machloket Rishonim that I mentioned to the other day comes up. They're not really shoes, obviously. They're shoes. It's like making a shoe out of paper. I mean, it's not really a real shoe. Right, it's not a real shoe, it's a makeshift shoe. The question is, becomes, can you wear Converse sneakers on you? That, that's where you have a machlok because it's actually a real shoe. It's just, not, it's just not made out of leather. That is a machlok edwishonim. These situations where you're making a thing out of a paper shoe, that's, uh, you know, where you, that, that's a different story. All right, so now the, the so Gemara says um, that uh, he would take a uh, basically a, a cloth, right? A, and he would wrap it around his foot and go out. So that's like, uh, that isn't even uh, a shoe. He would just take a, uh, he would just take a thing, wrap it around his sh- foot and go out on Yom Gibor. Right? So Mativ Rami Bar Chama, Rami Bar Chama said, how could this be? Yaki, uh, it says that somebody who is Hakitea Yote Bekav Shelo, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Oser. There's a machloket about a person who has a wooden leg, a prosthetic leg, basically, a wooden leg, Right? On Shabbat, going out, this talking about. Can he go out wearing this on Shabbat in Rashut Rabim? So Rabbi Meir said, yes, no problem, because it's, uh, because according to him, it's a, it's considered a shoe, right? This, Rashi, that's how Rashi explains it. There's a Tosafot that disagrees with Rashi, has a totally different thing, argues with Rashi, doesn't like Rashi, but we're just gonna go with Rashi for now. Rashi says that it, it's, it's a, it, because he holds that it's, it's a shoe. 
And Rabbi Osir, he says, it's not considered a shoe. So therefore, it's like he's carrying this item out with him. And, uh, and Rashi says that, e- that you see from Rabbi Yossi, So the same thing should be true about any of these makeshift shoes that we've read about before, that they should, not be, they should be considered shoes just like uh, any other Nilata Sandal, and they shouldn't be allowed on Yom Kippur, and they shouldn't be allowed on the Tanit. You see from this that they didn't really care about the material. The question was whether it's considered a shoe or not. So if you consider any material that you're wearing, right, the thing is that if you're, if you're going to consider it a, uh, a, a, um, a, a, a shoe, so a filachi asir vadim the shalsham, so you see that even it's not a shoe, but you're not allowed to wear it outside on Yom Kippur, as we're going to see, because, and that would be because of carrying then, not because of, um, right. not because of shoe, right? So, the, so it says, that you're not allowed to go out on, with it on Yom Kippur. So the question is why? In other words, if Rabbi Meir holds it's a shoe, right, according to Rabbi Yossi, that it's not a shoe, so we understand, carrying is not allowed on Shabbat, it's not allowed on Yom Kippur, so we understand, he says it's equal. Right, but according to Rabbi Meir, on Shabbat you're allowed to wear it. On Yom Kippur you're not. Why? Obviously, because he holds it's a shoe. Right, so on Shabbat the only issue is carrying, and since it's a shoe, you're allowed to wear it, and it's no problem. But on, Shab- on Yom Kippur you're not allowed to wear shoes. He doesn't care that it's wood, obviously. Right, saying you're not allowed to wear shoes, so you see that even though the material is a different material, so it's still uh, still not allowed. Socks also could be the same. I'm not 100 percent sure about that because it is different than uh, than than shoes. Yeah, because it's not really made for walking outside, and it's like it's more like wrapping a cloth around your foot. But yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, there wouldn't be a carrying issue because it's definitely derech malbush. The question is whether it's called nilat sandal. It's not really a shoe. I think it is different. But Amar Abayabai says the thing there. Why do they both prohibit the person who is uh, missing a leg from using the kav? It's because it had cloth. In other words, the place where they would put their um, stump of their leg had an indent and had like pads there. So it was very comfortable and it felt good on this leg. And that's why I wasn't allowed to do it. If it's not considered a shoe, right? So the fact that he's, that he's going to put rags in there or whatever, that's going to make it into uh, considered, a, considered a kind of a shoe. Furthermore, any enjoyment is prohibited. What? Just because it feels good to put your foot on, on a rag? That's, therefore, it's, so therefore you can't sit on a couch then. How, how are you going to sit on a cushion? It also feels good. Right, but you put your foot on a cushion; it's going to also be uh, prohibited, according to that. If you can't feel good, so what does it mean? Just because it feels good that he's that he puts his stump on this uh, on on this uh, on these racks, right? Says We know that put a cloth around his foot and went out, and obviously that felt good. From the fact that later on in that very same discussion, there it says that if. The, it had a place for rags to fit, then, it, then it's tamay. Now, what's that, that's talking about because that's a different issue of tum'ah because we have an idea of shutei kli'etz. If you have a flat piece of wood, it can never be mekabel tum'ah. It has to have bit kibul. It has to have some kind of a, uh, a uh, receptacle. So since it has a receptacle indentation, that's why it would become tamay. So if it's flat, it wouldn't. Meaning, So that means that the original discussion was where there isn't an indent and there isn't any cloth and still you see that they didn't allow him to go out with it on Yom Kippur. So the question is, if it's considered a shoe according to Rabbi Meir, uh, then why on Yom Kippur? So, in other words, why would they both agree? We understand Rabbi Yossi who 
says it carrying in both cases it's going to be uh, a problem but if it's uh, it, it, what what's the difference what's the difference between that in other words why Rebbe Meir would allow you to wear that on Shabbat because he says it's a shoe when it comes to Yom Kippur he wouldn't but it's no different than any of these other makeshift kind of shoes like reeds or 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 anything else so why why doesn't he allow it everybody agrees it's a shoe this is the machloket the question over there has nothing to do with whether it is a shoe or not. The question is whether it's going to fall off. In other words, what if this person's piece of wood falls off? It's going to end up being carried for a mot in Rishut Rabbi. Maybe not by him because I'm not sure that he can actually uh, that he can actually walk. So, but and, and drag it along. But somebody will carry it. Maybe if it's not him. Right? But the point is that it falls off. So everybody agrees you're not allowed to wear it on Yom Kippur because it's min alu, because it is a uh, because it is a shoe, and therefore you're not allowed to wear it on Yom Kippur because it's considered nilata sandal to wear that stump. Whereas on Shabbat the only issue is an issue of carrying. So since there's only so Rabbi Meir says we don't make a zerah that he's going to carry it. He's not going to carry the stump. He's going to put it back on and keep going with the stump. He's not going to carry it. According to Rabbi Yossi, we are concerned that he's going to that he's going to carry it. When it comes to Yom Kippur, it's a shoe. So what do you, this is a good proof to those who say that anything that's considered minal, considered a shoe, is not allowed to be worn. Right, doesn't have to be leather. That's a good proof for that position because you see that they weren't concerned with the fact that it wasn't made of leather. They were only concerned with whether it's considered a shoe or not. And that would mean that um, you know that any shoes today wouldn't wouldn't be allowed, and that there are some rishonim that hold that way, and there are many rishonim actually that hold that way. Even even some of the poskim say, oh, if you can, if you cannot wear any shoe at all, it's better. Rambam, I mean, Rambam doesn't mention anything about Yamanites. this day, right? The, Rambam doesn't mention it. There, there's many rishonim that say that it, there's no difference leather or not leather. It's just you're not allowed to do shoes, and that's they distinguish between this and the previous cases. That the previous cases were not really shoes. Taking reeds, putting it on your foot, it's not really a shoe. Taking uh, wrapping a cloth on your foot is not a shoe but when you have a clee it's actually designed it's fashioned into a shoe that's where it would be a problem and it doesn't seem like the material matters that much halachically says it has to be a leather shoe to be a problem so I'm not saying that that's halacha I'm just saying I've seen people machmirim that they they actually followed this they wrapped you know they put double socks on and went out with that instead of a I mean isn't in the streets you're allowed to wear on for sure that's true that it says that you're allowed to walk in the streets. If you're going in a place, they're gonna they're gonna make fun of you. They say you're gonna make fun of you. You walk around like that. That's that's one thing. But going from place to place where it's practically necessary on Tisha B'Av, for example, for sure they say that. No, yeah. Really, they we're machmir about the whole thing. But uh, I mean, I think the main point is the bottom. But I think that really nowadays, if there's any leather in the shoe at all, they don't. Use it. Yeah. Right. Maybe not kishut, but definitely if the body of the shoe. Of the shoe. But, but you can wear a leather jacket. A lot of people think you can't wear any leather. Yeah. Leather belt. We're all tamay. What's the difference? My abdel. We're all tamay. You're not. I'm tamay. You're tamay. We're all tamay. Nah. That's not the reason. The reason that I wouldn't go is because I don't want glass in my foot. Everyone, especially in Great Neck. You know, it is yeah luxury, but the question is, any is nice shoe, bottom any bottom nice bottom. shoe could give you support and yeah. feel like uh, feel like that. So That's it's, 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 like yeah, yeah, Co- some level of comfort, yeah, that you feel the ground on the like the way that the Rishonim always describing that you have to feel the ground. So if the shoe is hard enough that you don't feel the ground through the bottom, so then it would be. It, it, it's offering you some comfort. It doesn't matter the the thing. I, I don't like wearing Crocs. For me, it's torture. Maybe I should wear them. Tanu <laughs> Abanan. The rabbis taught. 
Tinokot mutarin bekulan, chutz midinat sandal. Children are allowed to do any of the inuyim except for nilat sandal, meaning we can ha- we can do anything for them uh, except for nilat sandal. Now the Gemara initially assumes that it means the kid can do it for themselves, but we can't do it for them, meaning that they can eat, they can wash, they can do any of these things, but they can't put on shoes. So maishna nilat sandal, So what's the reason why there's a difference that we do require them to wear t- like special shoes, even though we don't require them to uh, abstain from eating, drinking, and washing? Uh, the, the, because they'll say the parents put it on them. They're going to see that the child is all clean and fresh and they washed up and they're also going to think the parents did it. No. They'll think that the parents did it yesterday and that the child is just specially fresh and clean from yesterday. So Maybe they'll also think you tied the boy's shoes yesterday. No. That's not possible. You want to know what it's like to die? Go to sleep with your shoes on. Right? It is very uncomfortable, but I'm not sure that that's what he had in mind. Um, but he says, Don't, the point is, you're not supposed to sleep with your shoes on. Right, yeah, it's a yeah, I'm not sure. But the, definitely you're not supposed to sleep with your shoes on, so that's not possible. So therefore, they're going to think that the parents did it. But the problem is, It doesn't say that, uh, in other words, if, that if they ask you, can I feed the child or can I wash the child? We say yes. Not that you can let your child do it. It says, you're allowed to feed him, you're allowed to wash him. Right, so so what do you mean that it's not a bidiavad, it's the khathila? Rather, what we say is that Ella Hanachtilav Rivitayu Gazubu Rabanan. Hanachtivitayu lo gazubu rabanan. Meaning anything that's for the the nurturing of the child, eating, drinking, being clean, anything that's taking care of the child is allowed. Shoes, what difference does it matter to the kid whether he wears, uh, kids like they'll run around barefoot or they'll run around in uh, his Crocs or anything, they don't care. But food, drink, that's for taking care of the child. Right, said, My mother told me, even though we, they always clarify the first, she always say it's not really his mother. He was really an orphan. It was a nurse that raised him, right? Or a nanny. I'm sorry, Then my mother said, The way that you raise a child, right? So it says, uh, So first, First, it's with hot water. And you put some, uh, you put some uh, uh, oil. You anoint them with some some oil, right, for the skin. Then gadal portai grows a little bit. Biata bekutcha. Then you give him egg with kutach. Kutach is that dip that they used to have. You know the uh, the dip with the spoiled uh, uh, milk and the and the uh, breadcrumbs in there, right? Gadal porta tabure mane. Once you get, uh, once he grows a little more, then you let him break stuff. This sounds good. The kids will like this. The good gemara to teach the kids. You let him break stuff. That the rabbah would buy like uh, broken, cracked uh, uh, earthenware vessels that were, you know, from the secondhand store, and let his kids smash them. Meaning, at a certain age, the kids have a lot of energy. You know, it's like, this is interesting because it's like the boys will be boys philosophy. Like today we're so intent on like kids have to behave. They have to sit still. They have to not. T- no, they said, give them something to break. Okay. They, they have a, they have a lot of energy. Give them things to break. Get broken yeah, stuff. To go to, right. They have a tava to break things. So go to get some things that are, uh, that are cheap and that are breakable. Let them break it. What's the problem? It's, it's good. It's good to get out the energy like that. So they, 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 it's a very interesting thing. I think it's a, it's a very interesting educational philosophy. Very interesting insight. And to you know, give them a healthy outlet for uh, for the aggressive or like rambunctiousness. Instead of trying to stifle it, he went and bought them things deliberately. They're going to break them. It's no problem. It helps them grow. That's how they grow. Yeah. Okay. Bezashem, we can.